But let's go ahead and go to Ruth chapter 3 this evening. Ruth chapter 3. So just a little bit of review. Uh, remember that uh, it's been two weeks since we uh, preached on Ruth. But Naomi, when she, uh, she originally left Moab, she was she didn't want to bring her daughter-in-laws because she was concerned about how she was going to take care of them. And so in chapter 2, though, we end up seeing how Boaz ends up taking an interest in Ruth and is being very generous as she's out there gleaning, which was a lot of work. And, you know, some days you might not find a whole lot, but Boaz was making sure she had a lot to take home. And so Ruth goes home. She tells Naomi about this. Naomi, she realizes, man, I think Boaz has taken interest in you. This is good. God is going to take, this is just showing to God is going to take care of us. So this was a great blessing because they didn't know. She she believed God was going to provide, but she just didn't know how He was going to provide. And He ended up providing. And and so they were excited about this. And so uh, now here we are in chapter 3. And Naomi understands that Boaz is obviously sending signals that uh, there is an interest. And so in verse 1, it says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? And it's very important that we understand that especially back then, and, and really this has not changed, okay? I'm not trying to be offensive, I'm just preaching the truth right now, okay? But if I may state a truth that was true back then, and it's true today, and that is that women need men to take care of them and to provide for them. Okay. Now, any feminist watching this, I just triggered them. All right. You know, they're, they're foaming at the mouth right now, uh, because I said that, but just understand women need men to take care of them and provide for them. And there's a whole bunch of single ladies out there. There's a whole bunch of single moms out there. I don't need a man. No, but you need the government. You need the government to take care of you. That's why you're on welfare. That's why you're on food stamps and all those different things because you need a man to take care of you. That's why, you know, you need, that's why they have feminism. That's why there's all these political things, making laws and things to advance it, make things easier for them because they can't do it by themselves. And listen, ladies, there's nothing wrong with you for that. God did not make you to be protector, provider. Explorer, pioneer, and all that, all that stuff. No, the men are supposed to do the hard stuff. The men are supposed to do the heavy lifting. You're supposed to be taking care of those kids, raising those kids. That's what God made you for. And and if you don't have a husband, you need you need help. And typically, it's going to come from men. So nothing's changed. Okay, we think we've evolved. All right, men, women think because they have a job and they got some guy bossing them around that's not their husband that all of a sudden now they're liberated and independent and all that kind of nonsense. And so, uh, no, you, you need a man. And so when Naomi figures out that, hey, Ruth, you might get a man, they're excited. Because you're going to be, because you get a man, you're going to be taken care of. This is going to be a good thing. And so we're seeing, and, and so here too, I want us to keep in mind that while we are seeing a real life story that happened, Ruth was a real woman. All these events were real events that actually took place. But we're also seeing a picture of something here. And let's keep our eyes on this because I think this is fascinating throughout this whole, throughout this whole book. But we are seeing, you know, you know what we're watching right here? We are seeing Naomi 
Now, who is Naomi? Anybody tell me who Naomi is? What's that? No. Ruth's a Moabite. She's, she's the Gentile. She's like the Gentile believer. So, and remember who Naomi is? Naomi's Israel. Okay? Naomi represents Israel. Boaz represents Jesus Christ. Right here in this story, I think you're reading too much into this. I don't think I'm reading too much into this. We have Naomi, we have Israel telling Ruth, the Gentiles, about Boaz, Jesus, is what we're seeing here. Now, isn't that what happened in the book of Acts? Who were all the first Christians? It was Jews. It was the real Israel. The ones who obeyed and followed Moses and accepted Jesus as their Messiah. And then what did they do? They went around telling Gentiles about Jesus. And, uh, and so, uh, I think there's definitely a picture right there. And so, uh, notice too how Naomi said, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And you know what it's often spoken of too about Christ is it's entering into His rest. That's why in, in Hebrews, it talks about they that have entered into His rest. They have ceased from their labors. Who they say that to? They said that to Jews who were trying, they were under that curse of the law, trying to work their way to heaven. But no, Jesus, Boaz, has provided for you. And it's time for you to enter into His rest. And, you know, Ruth, Naomi's excited for Ruth here because of the fact that she's going to be able to have rest and she's going to be able to have a, a husband. And all the wives are thinking, how is this rest? Uh, you know, but un- understand, you still have a lot of work to do, but if your husband is worth two cents, he's going to take care of you. You're going to be fed. You're going to be housed. You're going to be protected and sheltered and all those things. You're not going to starve and die out in the street and have to uh, do like a lot of women would have had to do back in the day, you know, where uh, they ended up, you know, becoming harlots and things like that because they're just, they didn't have provision. They didn't have a lot of that help in many cases, especially in many other countries. So there's a great picture that we're seeing here. And we do. We go, to, we go to Christ for our needs. We go to Christ for security, for rest. So verse 2, And now is it not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Now, I do not fully understand what's taking place here, but I don't think I'm wrong in saying it appears to me that Naomi was trying to tell Ruth Exactly how to what we would call today flirt. Because Boaz has basically already sent signals to her, you know, the way he was helping her out, and Naomi caught that. And so now Naomi's telling Ruth, now this is what you need to do back. Okay? Now, we live in a different culture today. Okay, even from when when I was growing up, okay, and, and flirting has manifested itself in different ways in many cultures throughout time. And I don't believe anything that Naomi is telling Ruth to do here was inappropriate. I don't believe there's anything inappropriate. I don't think there's anything culturally inappropriate going on right here. I, I don't know enough about the customs 
of that day and that time. But I will say, these things, the flirting manifests itself in many different ways in many different cultures. There are things that people do today that signal availability or interest. And I don't even fully understand today's methods of flirting. My kids often explain these things to me, where it's just like, you know, this person slid into my DMs. It's like, and I know what that means now, but apparently that's kind of a thing people will do. And, and they've, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to give any examples because, you know, it's all personal, private stuff. But my kids have explained to me before how there's been individuals that uh, have apparently sent signals to them. I was like, really, what did they do? You know, because in my day, you know, it, it looked a certain way in my day. But it's like, how did this person make a pass at you, you know, whenever, you know, they're in another state or whatever. But it's like, there's ways people do it online, you know. And honestly... Whenever they start telling me these things, it seems so complicated. I'm just like, I'm glad I'm not dating. <laughs> I'm glad I'm out of commission. I've been out of commission for a long time. Okay, So I don't know how this stuff works. I have no intention of ever getting back in that. My wife better stay alive because this stuff's too complicated today. But, you know, the kids understand that. And so so the other day, you know, you know it was mentioned that someone appeared to be flirting with someone in my family and I'm like, really, how? And then they're like, well, they did this, this, and I'm like, and I'm not even on that platform, so I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I, if, if I got any of my kids up here, they could explain all of this to you. Right? This is what flirting looks like. If you're a guy, this is what you do to send a signal to a girl that you're interested. This is what the girl hopefully will do in response to signal that she is also interested and then I don't even know what you do after that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very complicated. Okay, so talk to my kids after church and they can explain that to you. But, uh, I think that's what we're seeing go on here. Is Boaz sent signals, Naomi's instructing her how to send signals back. And so, it says in verse 6, And she went down under the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Inasmuch as thou hast followedst not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. So while this behavior that we're seeing take place here is probably a little bit foreign to us. I mean, it's, it does seem kind of forward that when a guy's like taking a nap, she just goes and lays down at his feet and, you know, scares him, wakes you know, it seems a little forward to me, but I don't know. I don't understand the customs and things of that day. Uh, ladies, I would not recommend doing anything like that if uh, a guy shows interest in you. I, I don't think that will work in our culture, and a guy might definitely really get a wrong idea. I don't know, but just uh, don't don't ask my advice on the initial flirting. I, I can give you a bunch of the do's and don'ts. You know, keep your hands off each other, get parents involved, but boy, it's compl- it's, it's complicated stuff. But remember, though, in chapter 2, Boaz first had sent signals to her. He was good to her. 
And now Ruth is kind of accepting that interest, showing interest back. And Boaz immediately, just upon her laying at his feet like this, immediately decides he wants to take her, says, I will do whatever is required. But he mentions that there is a kinsman that is nearer than him. Okay, And, there, and let's look at another picture here before we go on and we look at this custom. First, when it comes to our relationship with Christ, Jesus draws us and shows us love first. Okay? And let me just say this too. Boys, and I've told my boys this, the girls who get forward with you and that try to make the first move, typically those are the ones you want to run from. Okay? I, it is in nature, it is the male that is the pursuer. And I get it. What I am saying is completely against culture and feminism and all that kind of stuff. But I was raised that the male is the pursuer. And anytime you have a woman that's pursuing you, it's best to run from that one. That was the advice I was given growing up and I did good when it came to you know who I got married to. I told my boys to be the same way. And so I've told my... When, when uh, my boys have mentioned to me too, girls that were doing some of the internet stuff, you know, not inappropriate stuff, but stuff that signals something, I was telling them, mark them. <laughs> don't, don't go after that one. If they're doing that, they're probably desperate. They probably got daddy issues. You know, don't, don't go after, don't go after those ones. All right. So just a little another lesson there. Young ladies, if you want to get the good guys, you have to wait for them to come to you. I know that stinks, but I'm telling you, it works. But anyway, Boaz, so the picture Jesus draws us, shows us love. And when we show our desire for him, he immediately accepts us. I mean, as soon as Ruth clearly sends a message, I'm interested in you on Boaz. Boaz says, I will do whatever is required to do. That was his attitude. Okay. Now, remember, we're, just, we're seeing a picture here. But understand, when it comes to us as an individual... I mean, God shows us love first. God draws us with the Holy Spirit first. But as soon as we accept that interest and show it back, it's salvation is immediate, isn't it? Okay, It is instant and immediate. But at the same time, too, understand there was something Jesus had to do first to be able to save us the way he's doing it now. And that's important that we understand that we're going to see a picture of that here in a little bit. But you know, the reason Jesus is able to save us just like that now, is because He has already done the work of redemption. Uh, and so, we happen to uh, live in a time where we can. We can just immediately be saved. And, and that's a blessing. But here, this is a story. This is kind of an allegory. So, Boaz has to do something before Ruth can be his. So, keep, keep all that in mind. Because, you know, Jesus, for Jesus to be able to save us, to do what He wants to do for us, something had to be taken care of according to the law first. Understand, why we were, you know, God loved us even though we were sinners, didn't He? John 3.16, For God so loved the world. But something has to be done according to the law before God can just save us. Before God can save us and, and uh, you know, make us His, some, the law has to be taken care of First, that has to be done, which is why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus couldn't just have us because He wanted us and because we wanted Him. The law cannot be neglected. And so, 
Boaz and Ruth, they have already decided, hey, we want each other. But you know what? We've got a law. We've got a custom that we are under as the people of Israel. And so, Boaz is going to set out to make sure he fulfills that law. That he is going to get Ruth in the right proper way. He's going to go through the proper channels. And so in verse 13, he said, Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another, and he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. So nothing inappropriate happened here. And understand too, Jesus can't take his bride until certain things have been fulfilled. So verse 15, Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And so it appears that he was making it look like she had been doing a lot of work. So what did he, do? you know, so he goes and he, she, she's been with him all night, but he goes and he loads her up with barley. He doesn't want people knowing what's going on. Uh, there's some possibilities for that that I'll, I, I can speculate on that we'll get to in a little bit, but he sends her home. And so possibly what I think we might be seeing here is what was, uh, um, you know, all these things that Boaz was going to do, it was something that he's kind of doing quietly in a way because he's doing things according to the law. But at the same time, I don't think he wants the other kinsmen to know why he's doing it because what we're going to see, what we're going to see in the next chapter, and I'm going to cover this this week because I got a lot I want to cover the next week. We're, we're, we might get into a little bit of chapter four today is part of this deal when he goes to that kinsman and they go before the elders of the city is there was a matter of land that belonged to Elimelech that would have gone to Malan and Shalion. And so Boaz, so this kinsman, he is actually the one who has claim to that land, technically. But for him to take the land, for him to take Elimelech's possession, he also would have to take Ruth and he would have to raise up seed to Malan, who was of the line of Elimelech, to keep that name to keep that name going. And that kinsman did not want to do that because he said it would mar his inheritance. So understand, So what, what we're going to see when we get to chapter 4 is when he first hears about the land that's Elimelech's, he's ready to purchase it. He's like, yeah, I'll purchase it. But then Boaz steps in and he says, just understand that if you purchase it, you also have to take Ruth too and you have to raise up seed, meaning not just you're going to have a child by her, but the child that comes from that, he is going to get that land that you're going to purchase as an inheritance. And so he didn't like the idea of that. So that's when Boaz steps in and is like, I'll do it then. You know, I'll do it then. And we'll get into that a little bit more. So I don't know if Boaz is kind of being quiet about the Ruth aspect of it because He's hoping maybe that, you know, that guy won't want Ruth or something. I, I don't, I don't know for sure, but he's trying to keep things quiet. We'll, we'll, we'll go into that here in a little bit. But it says in verse 16, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. 
Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until I know the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. And it became very obvious to Naomi. He's like, Ruth, he definitely wants you. He's going to take, he's going to make sure this gets taken care of today. He's going to do whatever needs to be done to get you, and he's going to do it quickly. That's basically what she said right there. And you know what? Jesus was clearly willing to do whatever it took to get us, wasn't he? I mean, you can't go any farther than what Jesus did to save us. And so Boaz, when he did, when he decided, I want Ruth, he's like, I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get her. And we're going to do things right. We're going to do things according to the law. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us. And so, uh, verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 8, okay, so we're verse, we, got, we already got to verse 8. So turn over to Deuteronomy 25. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 5. Now, what we're going to see right here is the custom that they're going about to follow in chapter 4. Okay, and this isn't an identical situation because um, land is also involved in this transaction so, but I want you, I want us to read this passage in Deuteronomy 25 and verse five, because this, again, this stuff's foreign to us. We don't do this stuff today, and they did this stuff, and they did it for a reason that I will. I'm going to explain. It's very important we understand these things. It says, if brethren dwell together, verse five, and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And here's just a side note too. I want to give you this because this is one more thing to throw a monkey wrench in dispensationalism. But did you? this was given in Deuteronomy. This is part of the law, right? Well, did you know that this custom was something that they had even before the law? We see this in Genesis 38. In verse 6, And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. Now, folks, we've got, we've got to get a hold of this here. Okay? We can't just keep reading verses and thinking that'll preach and just make it into whatever we want. These stories are not random stories. The Bible is telling one big story. There's many, there's, there's many stories telling one big story. The, many, the, the big story is the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the focal point of the Bible. Not Israel. Jesus. Israel is important because Jesus was going to come from Israel. All the nations of the world were going to be blessed. Redemption for mankind was going to come through a very special people. But they, the, what was special about them was who was going to come from them. That's why they were special. And so understand that promise of a seed was given at the Garden of Eden. And Cain and Abel were born. God chose Abel. Cain slew him. Adam has another son, Seth. God had appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. The Messiah is going to come through Seth, not the line of Cain. We get Noah. Things got corrupted. Seth and them, they, they intermingled. Noah was righteous in his generations. Noah's where the seed is going to come from. God preserves only Noah and his family. And then we end up getting to Abraham. 
God chooses Abraham. The seed is going to come from Abraham. God chooses Abraham to be the nation, to start the nation that the seed is going to come from. And so God and God gave Abraham a very special blessing. Anyone who messes with Abraham is going to be cursed. Anyone who blesses him is going to be blessed. Abraham passes that on to Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac passes that on to Jacob, not Esau. Jacob, it becomes Israel. They are the ones that have that blessing. And then Jacob, before he dies, gives a prophecy to when he's blessing his sons, he puts authority on Judah. And he said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. That's, that was a messianic prophecy. He's going to come from the line of Judah. So God had given prophecies through a line. And it's very important that line be preserved because of the Messiah. So God has chosen Judah, but Ur was wicked. God doesn't want him. God killed him. Because he was wicked, and then you have you have Onan uh, that comes or, or uh, that comes along. Well, let's, let's read the passage, or otherwise I'm going to mess this up. Um, total that's my spot. Yeah. So verse seven and Judah, or, uh, Er Judah's firstborn was wicked inside the Lord. The Lord slew him, and Judah said unto Onan, Go in to thy brother's wife, and marry her, and raise up seed to thy brother. And Onan knew that the seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, wherefore he slew him also. Then said Judah unto Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow at thy father's house till Shelah my son be grown. For he said, Lest peradventure he die also, as his brethren did. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And so basically... One of the reasons they would do this thing of raising up seed, they wanted the names to be remembered because there were prophecies to be fulfilled. And I believe part of that too, they didn't know exactly who these people, they were going to come from. So they would. They would raise up seed to their brethren. This was a very important custom they had during that time because the lineage was important back then because prophecies are going to be fulfilled. And they didn't always know who it was going to be. And they, and you know, and I imagine, you know, Judah, you know, he's thinking it's going to be, I want it to be my firstborn. But God killed him. Onan, you go raise up seed to your brother. But God killed. God ended up killing Onan. So like we're going to wait for Sheila. He's afraid Sheila's going to die. He never gives gives it to him. And then you all know the story about how uh, he ended up having a child by Tamar. And guess what? That's where the line came from. That's where the line, that's where the messianic line came from. But I say all this to just show why these customs were important because there were prophecies that had to be fulfilled through those lines. So should we do anything like this today? No. No, absolutely not. You know why? God hasn't made any promise of any physical lineage to any of us. The Messiah already came. The seed already came. We don't need anything like this. There is absolutely no reason for this, but there was a very special reason that God gave that to them because they had inheritance in the land and God promised that He was going to preserve them as a people until the Messiah came. So these customs were very important, but these are not something we need to go back to. Ladies and gentlemen, we have absolutely no reason it would be as pointless as sacrificing a lamb. Not as blasphemous, but just as pointless as it would be sacrificing a lamb for sins. God's done with that. This is finished. The seed came. So verse 7 of Deuteronomy 25, And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, 
Then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, so shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And so this was not just a way to keep the name of the deceased alive, but I believe too, it was also a way to take care of their widow. That was another thing too. Because again, they didn't have the YWCA back then. They didn't have the Democratic Party back then. They didn't have all the welfare programs and things that people have today that women immediately go sign up for if their husbands die or something. They didn't have any life insurance because women need a man to take care of them. They didn't have that stuff. So it was a, this was kind of a, a system that they had in place during that time. And so while they wouldn't force the men to take these women, they would shame them if they refused. And this is the best part. This is the best part. If you refuse to do this after they spit in your face and lose your shoe off your foot, you got a name. You got a title. You got a label attached to you. And this just is powerful. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. I don't know why that just sounds hilarious to me. The house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Maybe it sounds a little bit better in Hebrew, but it's... It says it like this is so negative, but it's just like the house of him that has his shoe loosed. Okay, yeah, but again, foreign to us, we don't have these customs, but it, it meant something. It, it meant something back then. And uh, wouldn't it be funny just walking by your house and pointing at your kids? You see that guy there? You know why he doesn't have any friends? So that's the house of him that has the shoe loosed. Wow, I don't want to be that guy. So that, that was. Not, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but it just it seems a little. Seems a little weird. But it would appear though, when we look at the story in Ruth in chapter four, we don't, we do see them taking the shoe. They do, they do that part. They go to the elders and the gate. We'll, we're going to see all that. We don't see them spitting in their face though. We don't see them spitting in their face. And I'm assuming maybe it's because there, there was no need to do any of the shaming because there was someone there ready to go to fulfill the obligation. So maybe that that provision helped him avoid the shame, the shameful part and getting the title. He still had to lose his shoe because that was something that they did to just kind of show. Because, you know, back then, too, they didn't have all the signed contracts and things. They had witnesses. And so they did. We're going to see in chapter four, he's going to gather 10 men, elders of the city that are going to sit in the gate and they're going to watch this transaction. They're going to that's going to go down. Boaz is there. The near kinsman is there. And he tells them, hey, you know, uh, the, the land, Elimelech's land is available to purchase. You have the right to purchase it. Do you want it? Yep, I want it. I'll make the purchase. Well, hey, just so you know, you do. You got to take Ruth too. And then he's like, I don't want it. And so then, you know, he basically says, well, you know what? I'll take it. And then, you know, he gives him a shoe and all that. So everybody sees it. Everybody knows now the land belongs to Boaz, Ruth belongs to Boaz, and so it's clear. That, that was just kind of how they did things back then. It was, it was a different world, different custom. Now we have like uh, county clerks and things that have all these records and keep track of all that stuff. And uh, frankly, it's way more complicated. He got all this done in one day. I've been trying to buy the house next to us now for a few months. 
that, you know, the guy didn't have a will. And so there's this, we, you know, it's going through the legal process to see, you know, how he's going to get, you know, who's going to get it and all that kind of stuff. And it's just taking forever. You know why? Because our government is stupid. Our court system is a joke and an embarrassment. And it, things shouldn't take that long. They cleared this matter up in one day. The law of God is so much better than the law of our land, ladies and gentlemen. It is so much better. And I, I, when, I was, when I was studying for this message, I was just like, why can't things be that simple today? And it, it, worked, it worked so much better back in that day. But anyway, um, you know, and we'll go ahead and, and so go ahead and turn over to Ruth chapter four for a minute because I'm not going to have time to cover all this, but look what it says in verse two. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down and he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that has come again out of the country of Moab, sell the parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's and I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of thy, my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. And so, understand, this kinsman, he is, he's actually, he would actually be losing something. Because this, part of the inheritance is going to end up going to, in Malon's name. And he didn't like that. He, he didn't want to lose anything. Boaz, he didn't care. He wanted Ruth. That, that's what he cared about. He, he wanted Ruth, and so he immediately steps up and he buys it. Now, this is an important lesson that we can learn from this because this reminds us of a few things. First of all, Jesus purchased us, and he just like Boaz here, he's not just purchasing land. He didn't care about the land. He cared about Ruth. That was why. And understand, Jesus purchased us, and he did it according to the law. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus went to the cross, when He died on the cross, when He descended into the lower parts of the earth, when He rose again from the dead, that was Him leading captivity captive. Meaning, the law that held us captive, Jesus took it captive and it no longer has power over us. Jesus did everything according to the perfect and holy law of God. He did not, he did not do away with the law. He did not just get rid of the law. He fulfilled it. He completed it. He did everything in a legal way according to the law so he can purchase us Gentiles. And by the way, just a side note too, what he did to be able to purchase us sorry Gentiles was also necessary to be able to save the Jews as well because of the fact they were all under the curse for breaking God's law. And so they, that's why they were concluding in unrighteousness and uh, they 
are they get saved the exact same way we do. So uh, n- never forget that. So Jesus purchased us according to the law. This is also exciting. Jesus purchased us with the ultimate price. And now we often say these things and we understand these things, but I think it's important that we understand the legal significance of these things. This is important. So 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, What? Know ye not that ye, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians seven twenty three. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. So we were bought with a price. We were clearly purchased. Well, what was the purchase? What was the price? Acts twenty twenty eight. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, again, you know, John MacArthur, for example, you know, he, he's gotten a lot of criticism and rightfully so for some things that he has said about the blood. Because he's like, well, you know, I mean, it's not literally the blood because you know, you saying like Roman soldiers that had blood get on them that, you know, they're cleansed from their sin. I mean, just, wow, you know, you, you, you have to be, you have to be unsaved to get some things as wrong as he does. Okay. But understand the blood is absolutely necessary because of the fact that it is what fulfills the law. It is the price because the life is in the blood. The wages of sin is death. Jesus shedding his blood is him giving up his life, sacrificing his life, dying. And listen, despite what the dispensationalists tell you, despite what the Abraham's bosom crowd tells you, death is a really bad thing. It is a very bad thing to be dead. Because there is a place where the dead go. It is called hell. That's where the dead go. Not where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the living, go. Okay, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham was living. Abraham was saved. He was with the Lord. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died the death of a sinner. Not because of his sin, but he died for our sin. Folks, death is the ultimate price. It's the ultimate payment. And us being purchased with the blood of Christ, that was a price. That was the ultimate price. That is the the most that you can pay for something is with your life. You understand that? Because once you're dead, you can't do anything else. It's not it's not about money. Money is not the most valuable thing. Your life, that is the most valuable thing. What did the Bible say? What does a man profit if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So a soul is that that soul that is the ultimate price, and his soul went to hell. Now the difference between Christ and us, our soul goes to hell, stays there. We can't come back from that. But Jesus conquered that, didn't he? Jesus conquered that. So if there is nothing more valuable than a soul, and if Jesus purchased us with his blood, the shedding of his blood, meaning it cost him his life, and he died, then understand. It makes absolutely no sense to think that we could ever get out of God's hand. For us, because think about this. If Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, then wouldn't somebody have to outdo that price 
to get us from him. But there's no greater price. He, he, so right there, there's security in that. Do you understand that? There is security in that. And girls, that's why you should make a guy jump through a few hoops to get you. If you make it too easy, hey, you don't, you're gonna, you're not gonna know if the guy's really that serious or not. If a guy really wants you, he will do what he's gotta do to get you. And Jesus, because He really wanted us, He did what He had to do to get us. And one of the biggest problems girls are doing, they're making it way too easy on guys. Making it way too easy. Don't do that. And let me tell you, there was nothing easy about how Jesus Christ got us. And so think about this. Because of the price Jesus paid for us, the ultimate price, did you know we have value today because of what He did? Not because of anything we are. See, you know, whenever people talk about how much something is worth, what's the response often? It's whatever you get someone to pay for it. That's, that's how much something's worth. Some, the, the value of something depends on what someone will pay for it. That's why there's baseball cards, cardboard. That's worth thousands of dollars. Why? Because someone will pay that much for it. That, that, that's why. That's what, that's what makes it that valuable. Those Honus Wagner baseball cards, those are like the most valuable ones. I don't even know what they're going for now. Why is that worth so much money? Well, you can say it's rarity. No, it's because people value that rarity. They value, they, they want it for whatever reason. And so, Romans 8.31 says, What should we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall not he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. If God gave His own Son, if Jesus laid down His own life, if we are in the hand of Jesus Christ, if we are in the hand of the Father, what could possibly take us out of that? The answer is nothing. Nothing can take us out of that. Therefore, if there is no price that can purchase us back from God, then we have the value, we have the price that God put on us. And you know what? That ought to make you feel pretty good. That shouldn't get you lifted up with pride, but you know what that ought to cause you to do? Exactly what Paul said. Hey, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost within you, which you have of God. You're not. You're free. You're bought with a price. Do you realize what God paid for you? You know what you should do? You should act like it. There's, you're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You realize how much God paid for you? You know what? You ought to live like a child of God. You ought, you ought to live like you have some value. And we've got a lot of people in our world today, they feel like they have no value. You know what? It's because they don't know what Jesus did for them. And if they would get saved and if they would understand what Christ has done for them and how much He loves them and how valuable they are to God, maybe they'll start living like they're valuable. You want to know why a lot of girls pursue guys the way they do? You want to know why a lot of girls make themselves so available to guys and they're so easy for guys? Because their dads have failed in showing them their value. And let me tell you, dads, it's your job to make sure you show those girls just how precious they are and how valuable they are. And when some bum comes along who doesn't even have a job, who lives in his mom's basement, who plays video games all day, and he's like, you know, he tries to slip in your daughter's DMs, she, she, she's just going to be like, block. I can do better. I, I can do better. My dad has shown me my value. And Jesus Christ 
has shown us our, va- our value. And we ought to live like it. And you know what? My daughters, they have me that love them. They have a grandpa that loves them, that tells them all the time and tells me all the time that, hey, if some guy ever messes with them, you know what? I don't mind going to prison. You know, that, that's, what, that's what my dad always says. You know, there, there's men here at the church that have, uh, that, that, that care about them and have, you know, already threatened, uh, so, you know, the guys going after our daughters and I like that kind of thing. We've had conversations before about how we could all, you know, if one of our daughters ever gets a bad brother or a bad husband, one of the other dads takes them out. That way you can provide an alibi for them. I should have said that online. I just ruined that. <laughs> you, would you really do Hey. You know, we talk about these things, you know why? Because our daughters are valuable. And we need to make sure they understand that. That way, when Video Gamer comes along, our daughters won't even think about it. Why would any girl here let some gamer date them? Some worthless, no job, living in his mom's basement, wears a Yu-Gi-Oh shirt, collects Pokemon cards... Why would you give that guy the time of day? You are so much better than that. Your, your, you know, your dad, he loved your mother. That's a very valuable thing. He's, he's stayed with your mom. They've raised you in a good home. They've put you in a good church. They've homeschooled you. They've sacrificed because they understand your value. They didn't turn, turn you loose in the public school system. They didn't, they didn't do what a lot of people or parents are doing with their kids. You know why? Because they see the value that you have. And that value that they put on you, it ought to do something to you. It, it, ought, it ought to change how you are. And you know what? We don't know that much about Ruth's life after she married Boaz. But you know what? I'll bet she felt pretty secure. I'll bet she felt pretty loved by her husband. I like to think, I like to think and it looks like that they probably went on and they lived happily ever after. You know why? Because she was secure in her marriage. She knew she had a man that loved her. A man who made a price, who did what he had to do to get her. We make these things just way too easy for our young people today. We, we make it way too easy. That, that is not a good thing. And Jesus Christ, what He did for us, that alone should prove to us we have eternal security. That right there, just, just what He did for us. Not just all the Scriptures saying we have eternal life and all the verses just say it's forever and I can never... No, look at what He did. Look at what He did. Do we really think He's going to let something take us out of His hand? Do you really think He's going to let us do something to get away from Him? Look at what He did to get us. How, how are we going to get out of... I mean, and then Paul goes on in Romans 8, you know, who shall separate us from the love of God? He's, he's using reasoning here. If God spared not His own Son... So, uh, I don't know how you read Romans 8 and not walk away full-blown eternal security believer. I, I, I don't understand that. But it, it's, listen, we cannot possibly lose our salvation. If Jesus paid the ultimate price, it shows there's nothing He would take in exchange for us. And so many of the Old Testament customs that we see, they, seem, they might seem strange, they might look a little weird. But you know, even these things were meant to point people to Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God already had a plan. And again, I, I could be wrong on this. I'm, I'll give you this and I'm done. This is speculation. But when Boaz, you know, he, he didn't want anybody to know that Ruth was there, I don't think he wanted it to be apparent that he wanted the land because of Ruth. I think that was apparent. Because at first, he was just hoping that kinsman wasn't going to want it. But when he did, he said he did. Then he brought up Ruth. And then that turned out to be the thing 
that stopped, that stopped it from wanting it. But uh, it, it, it appears to me if he would have, if it would have been clear, hey, really the reason I want it is because of Ruth, then that guy might have been like, well, you know what, maybe I ought to take a look at this Ruth and see what she's all about. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I will purchase this. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of 1 Corinthians 2, 7. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God had ordained before the world unto glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If that kinsman would have known, you know, what Boaz was really wanting to get, he might have been like, Noah, I'm not going to have you do what's necessary. I'm just going to claim what's rightfully mine. And you know what? If Satan would have known exactly what Jesus was doing when he went to the cross, he might have been like, eh, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do anything to you. I, I don't know. Because that's what it says. They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it's kind of like Boaz kind of put one over on that kinsman to get Ruth. And it's like Jesus put one over on the devil to get us. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm reading a little too much into that. If, if, you, if you want to argue with me about that, I probably won't put up much of an argument. But that's just kind of what I see when I, when I read that passage there. But I'll say all this to just say it is amazing how God always knew what He was going to do. This book is so... It, this is an, an eternal book. God declares the end from the beginning. And He puts it in the middle sometimes too. It's, just, it's all over. This book is not about the Jews. It's about Jesus. The story of the Jews is a story about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus Christ. That is why He has preeminence in the church. That is why He is what it's all about, what we promote everywhere we go, and why we are waiting for Him to come back. And so with that, let's pray to Lord. Thank You so much for this wonderful chapter and the beautiful story that we're seeing from it. I pray, Lord, if this message did anything, I pray, Lord, that it helped everyone realize the value that You put on us. Lord, we are not valuable because of anything that we have done Lord, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, but you've made us valuable by the price that you paid and, uh, and the way you have treated us. And we, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to remember this and to live like it and to uh, walk worthy. In your name we pray. Amen.